Welcome to the culture of you. Meaningful dialogue with me and my favorite people. Welcome to the culture of you, everyone. I am your host, Karen Hewitt, and I'm so excited for the guest we have today. We have Tyson Crenshaw. He is sees himself as a phoenix rising in the call to action as a trans BIPOC community member. I love that statement in your bio. He is a clinical prevention specialist coming from a background in healthcare as a firefighter, paramedic, and health educator for 20 plus years. And he's also the owner operator of Phoenix Enterprises, a safety and security consultancy. My dear friend, I'm so grateful to have you in my life and on this podcast today. Thank you for joining us. What's up, Tyson? Oh, what's up? I am so excited to be here with you. And, you know, I've been trying to work this out so, we <laughs> that, so I can vent. So thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, sometimes it calls for a good vent. And I think uh, what's currently happening, and we'll get into it a lot throughout the course of this podcast, but um, there's a lot going on that is affecting, as you mentioned, the trans BIPOC community. And I really want to talk about it. And I thought none other than you would be the best person to talk to about it. So we have a lot of things going on. But why did you say yes, other than to vent? Why did you say yes to today and being on a culture review? Um, I think the biggest one of the biggest reasons I said yes is because, well, part of that Phoenix Rising thing. I mean, those of us who have an opportunity to voice some things about our communities and that are going on in our worlds and our mm-hmm. lives that are greatly and at times gravely affecting um, the quality of that life. I think it's important to stand and speak on it. Um, also feel as though I I don't like to kind of do this kind of thing. So I typically don't have an opportunity to speak to folks and kind of share, I don't know what I'm, where I'm coming from, what mm-hmm. I'm about. And, and I feel I've gotten to the point in professionally and personally that it's time to share some of that information just about Tyson. So I saw this as an opportunity to, I don't know, become a more personable individual. So I feel like (laughs) we got to get your story out here. So I love this. I love that you're here and I love that we can, you know, we can talk about whatever and you can say whatever you have to say. So um, the first thing I'm going to ask you, because, you know, this is a culture type of podcast. We talk about culture. And so my first question to you is, how would you describe culture, vibe, same, same, right? Culture, vibe, personally, and then professionally. I think they may be a little different, especially with you and the work that you do. But personally and professionally, how would you describe your vibe or your culture? Well, I think, so I'm old. Um, <laughs> Careful. <laughs> Careful. I'm right behind you. Okay. I, <laughs> listen, I'm happy to be old because that means I'm seeing another day. But yeah. I think... You know, when you're 20, 30 years old and you talk to folks, folks that are a little older than you and they say, well, wait, just wait till you get here. You'll understand later. And you kind of blow that off like mm-hmm. there's nothing more I can learn. And now that I just uh, so July 9th, I turned 54 mm-hmm. and I have never understood my mother. Yes. More than I understand my mother now. Of which Absolutely. I. I came, I come from a large family. Mm-hmm. I, the culture that I was raised in was very matriarchal. Mm-hmm. Word, I'm gonna make it up if it's not. It's um, a word. You're good. Okay. So uh, my mom is the youngest of eight children. Oh my goodness. Of which five girls, three boys. Ooh. Okay, so... 
However, my grandfather has 22 children. Stop it. Yeah. So it, there's a lot, lot back there. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I find myself a lot of times the the thing that molds everything about me is my upbringing and where we come from. Yeah. So my family comes from Alabama. It's actually Crenshaw County, Alabama. Oh wow. Um, my, my grandfather, uh, my grandfather's grandfather was gifted the 40 acres and a mule. So we still have it. Mm -hmm. Um, one of a handful of, uh, black families in the, in the U S that still Mm -hmm. think there's like three, but five years ago, uh, the house that my mother was raised in on the property was made a historical site in Alabama after my uh, grandfather passed away. Mm-hmm. And I was raised with that mentality of respect. Everything was yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. Every year we went, the whole family, no matter where we're at, we went back to Alabama to our property to have our family reunion. Mm-hmm. My mom was a single mom. So I was kind of raised by my grandfather and my uncles. Mm-hmm give you an idea I guess I look back at this and kind of say hey this makes sense so my dad um was not part of part of my life Mm -hmm. coming from Alabama they my my aunts and uncles came this way north to get away from the hostilities Mm -hmm. um way south you know I can still go to family reunions and see colored only signs wow and I try to share that with the younger kids in the family whom don't realize that we have this culture where people say, okay, we're make, taking so many steps backwards. Everybody's like, we're taking so many steps backwards. And I see a culture that didn't go forward Ooh. because I go down there every year. I see that shit that still exists. Mm-hmm. I, my, my oldest aunt Zola, whom my aunts are my heroes. Okay. They are. They are just, he's giving me goosebumps. Um, My Aunt Zola, who's the oldest, and she's 86, she was the first to come to Ohio to kind of get feet on the ground and 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 settle in before everybody else headed this way. Mm -hmm. He rode on the bus from Alabama, standing the whole way because she did. And when I see a lot of the things that are going on right now, and the conversation of backwards, backwards, backwards. I didn't, I, I'm still struggling to see the forward where we ever went forward. Wow. Yeah. And people not realizing that the displacement isn't there. Like my, my mother picked cotton for a living, not yeah. because she was a slave, but because those were the only job opportunities available mm-hmm. in Alabama, where they were, Greenville, Alabama. And to talk to folks and have, and I don't care who it is, whether, you know, they're white, black, but to say, you know, slavery was so long ago, blah, blah, blah. We've come so far. No, no, the fuck we haven't. Not as a whole nation. We have not. No, we got better at hiding shit and Mm -hmm. just attacking and overcoming. Mm -hmm. But all those things that were going on are still going on. There's just more availability to do shit that's sneaky and underhanded and navigated mm-hmm. more time. 
than it was going on back then mm-hmm. because I haven't seen that. I still go there and see those things. I still listen to my mother, whom is my mom. We've got a generation of elders that when my mom's generation is gone, we don't have the group of folks that lived through a lot of shit. Right. My mom about sitting there watching the news when Martin Luther King was killed, when, when Kennedy was killed, when, when all those things happened, I'm not going to, when my mom is gone, I'm not going to be able to converse with somebody and say, tell me about this. What did you see then that you don't see now? Or yeah. what do you feel has changed? And I think it's so important to grab hold of that. And that's been my thing as far as my, my family goes, is mm-hmm. sharing and showing, you know, my five-year-old niece to, hey, you see grandma over here, granny, they call her granny. Granny did this. Let me show mm-hmm. you pictures. Let me show you this on the internet. Because who's going to tell that story? And who's going to remember that that happened? And, and share what needs to happen because they raised us with the concept of you're not going to complain about where you are. You are going to be successful. You are going to start, keep pushing, keep pushing. You've got to be, you've got to always work harder, work longer. Mm -hmm. You everything 10 times better than your white counterpart because you're still black. Mm -hmm. And even seeing that culture of, you know, we've, we've talked about this before where my, my pigmentation might not be as, as, predominant as my brother's pigmentation mm-hmm. and light skin versus darker skin folks. And, and shit, we still struggle with that, you know, yeah. in our own. but I, I, I listen to my aunts and uncles, which all my uncles have now passed away. And I've got all my aunts heart who are kind of holding our family together. Yeah. I was raised with right where I was, there were uh, 12 of us, nine of which were boys three girls i have 22 first cousins okay Jeez. um so we are a big family and it was a pain in the ass as a kid to have to go to all these family get-togethers I, we were talking about it yesterday every day i saw an aunt or an uncle or answered a phone call and that communication that village mentality was there mm-hmm. doesn't exist anymore that i think we need to get back to just, you know, as families, you know, it takes a village to raise these babies. Mm-hmm. It saddens me. It saddens me to see that. But the people that raised me taught me things that make me who I am. And it had nothing to do with my gender. It had nothing to do with, you know, how I identify personally. It Mm -hmm. had everything to do with elevating a culture. Mm -hmm. It was, it was like, okay, we are black. We've got to do all these things to just get minimal of what my white counterpart does. So we got to make you guys strong, resilient. We got to teach you how to navigate this and what to expect. and being yeah. strong and this is going to go away and that scares the shit out of me that those me that ability to go hey mom hey auntie what what tell me about this because that that strengthens me and i remember probably eight years ago i had kind of pulled myself out of my family a bit and backed off when i decided to come out as trans mm-hmm. I had this expectation that listen I know I come from this hardcore you know culture of men are men women are women mm-hmm. this is 
how to do. And I didn't offer my family grace because I think a lot of times culturally we forget um, on that, that part of my culture that we forget my identity, my transition, my decision to do that wasn't theirs. Right. I didn't know how I was going to navigate it. So how unfair of me to assume based on everybody outside of my family's perception, <laughs> this was not going to be acceptable. So mm-hmm. you deserve to be accepted and have to demand that. And if they don't, you just walk away. So I just walked away and said, I'm going to go do me because they're not going to accept it. Mm-hmm. And that's just it because I have that right. And then my uncle got sick. Uh, my uncle, his name is King, Uncle King Solomon. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Some symbol, symbolic names. Listen, and he was that. He was the youngest boy, but he was my father figure because, you know, I was telling my daughter that my grandson the other day, uh, yesterday, sitting with my daughter, that because he asked a lot of questions because I try to encourage that. Um, what about your dad, Nana? What about, because he calls me Nana, because I, I just want to put that in there that my dead name, as folks refer it to, um, that person, I transitioned late in life. So Tanya was what I was raised under. And Tanya made Tyson. Mm-hmm. I would not be Tyson if it wasn't for the shit Tanya put up with Listen. and the t- Tanya made. Mm-hmm. So I proudly, acknowledge Tanya um, on a regular basis. And my grandson asked me about the other side of me because my father's white. Mm-hmm. I'm the only child with a white with a white father in my in my family and I'm the oldest of five children. Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> so um I guess society would call me biracial. Mm-hmm. I call me black. Um, my mom raised us with the mentality, you know, it's not, I didn't claim both sides because I don't care what else I had in me. I was black first and the world <laughs> will see black. So you yeah. will not as black. I don't give a damn what they try to cushion it with by saying, well, you're mixed. You're okay. That is not, Ooh. that is not what happened. And that is not what's happening in, in any part of my family. If anybody has a little dibble dabble of anything else in them, mm-hmm. you are all black first um, because those struggles are real. And, yeah. and the one and, drop rule, you know what I mean? One drop rule. And that's <laughs> what mom raised with the one drop rule. And I, I, I stepped away from all that mm-hmm. and stepped away from my dad and knowing who that was because he wasn't part of me. But one thing my mom never did was tell me bad stuff about him. Mm-hmm. She was very adamant as a single mom. She would never talk about like talk down upon somebody's father because mm-hmm. that's a just he had made because they didn't stay around that didn't mean that she needed to badmouth them right. because and I'll, I'll make that decision on my own later with my resources but people forget like my grandson had forgotten that in what was it 68 was just when biracial interracial relationships were illegal until yeah i was loving i, mm-hmm. I was nine wow so what I see sometimes is, is a little different than what my grandbaby see or my daughter sees because I see a world that was a year earlier I would have been born. Who knows that I would have made it through? Mm-hmm. Somebody, you know, taking my mom's life or taking my life because of the color of my skin. 
that little one drop. And I was also originally given up for adoption because I was mixed. Really? Yep. My mom's name was not on my uh, birth certificate until 20 years ago. Because they took her, they took me from her because I was mixed. And, and that white baby needed to go away. Mm-hmm. And she fought and got me. Mm-hmm. Dipped out the hospitals, a whole long story. And the crazy thing is, is I didn't find out about that until five years ago. Mm-hmm. They tried to take me like that. I just thought it was just the way my birth certificate was done. And somebody had made a typo and missed some stuff. And my mom, and my mom was getting sick. You know, the shit you say on your deathbed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sick. And she said, I need you to know this. I need you to know what happened. Yeah. And I was sharing that with my grandson. And he was like, what do you mean? Interracial. I said, mom, my mom, granny being black and my dad being white was not an acceptable thing, buddy. You know, and I was, you know, taken away, going to be swept under a rug. And so, you know, I feel as though I came out fighting for an identity. Mm-hmm. all along but grace i was getting y'all squirrel so karen you know you have to go tyson back over here um okay. <laughs> i i uh didn't offer my family grace and i lost some 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 years um couple couple three three to five years where i didn't really interact and mind you this was a family that i had interacted heavily with and i was filling this void um and my uncle King got sick and called me and said, I need you to come over here. I need you to do what you do. You know, as a paramedic, I need, I need to hear things. I need you to navigate these conversations so that um, his wife, my aunt Diane was understanding some things and was able to be an advocate um, and, and navigating some of the healthcare issues. And that brought me in. And I had a panic attack because I knew all my aunts and family would be there. And I'm like, Oh God, now I'm coming in with a beard. I remember the first day <laughs> yeah. I shaved because I was scared. I didn't want to have the conversation. I was just going to stealth up. And my mom was like, I don't know why you keep shaving your face all red. Like, I don't know. <laughs> you got a beard. And I'm like, okay, fine. Okay. We navigated by that. And then my other uncle who was still around the time he said, um, and I don't know, what is the name you're using? Cause I'm not happy. I don't know if we, we want to use that name. We need to look at something that fits you better. And all these conversations started and opened up this door where I sat down and I said, well, I don't understand why you're being so accepting. Right. I didn't know what's going on. Is it just, you know, because I'm here because, you know, Uncle King's sick. And they, my, my Aunt Jean said to me, you went away. We didn't go away. Right. But you didn't help us understand what you were going through. You didn't help us navigate it with you. You didn't offer us the grace of saying, okay, here's this pronoun. This is what I do. This is how I present. Um, Let's work through this together. You just assumed that we were going to be hateful and unaccepting. And so you backed out. And they were right. They were exactly right. Mm -hmm. People who didn't know my family and said, this is what they're going to do. So just get away from it because it's just going to be hurtful to you because everybody does that. And I end up. That's part of the story I tell all the time because I was blessed. I had a family and have a family that is very accepting of Tyson, understands Tanya, but is very accepting of Tyson and who I am now. And we still navigate the, I transitioned 12 years ago. So I was in my forties already. Mm -hmm. So 40 plus years of Tanya and a pronoun of she, her 
um, doesn't change like that. Right. And I understood that. And when I offered the grace back that they were giving me to want to learn and sit with me, we grew tremendously. I mean, yeah. we're probably now than we ever were at any point in my life. And my mm-hmm. mom, the argument she'll get in with anybody that has something squirrely to say, <laughs> you all the five one. That's where I get mm-hmm. my life. But um, ah. <laughs> yeah. but she steps up and stands for, stands for me all the time. And we, she may slip up with a pronoun, or she may you know call me con because they used to call me con all the time. But that doesn't come to me out of a hateful space, out of a disrespect. It comes to me out of a habit, mm-hmm. and out of and she and I will always be my mother's oldest daughter. That's why that's what she knew. So I'm not going to be disrespectful to her because she wants to hold on to that a little bit because it's it's not when I go out in public, it's Ty. It's mm-hmm. he. And I said, mm-hmm. Mom, I said, why is it so easy for you to transition when we're out at dinner or out of grocery stopping? She says, it's about your safety first. She says, I don't want somebody to hurt you. And yeah. that's where all this came from. My mom came from a time when not was my color, not just a problem, but everything was mm-hmm. a problem our being and her fears were stemmed from from that hatred not my identity and who who the person I I I felt I was you know transitioning into and I had to accept that and just communicate with her and offer some grace and I don't I don't know what I'd do without my mom because my dad wasn't around and my mom's all I got and I'm you know mad at myself for them three to five years but I have learned so much from these matriarchs who yeah. have stepped up and said this this is what it is it, mm-hmm. it, and it's all out of love so when you talk and about I, culture, there's so many sides i want to come from well here's the thing though like when you think about this and this is this is great for the conversation but i have you know my mother and my father are still alive they were um part of in different spaces my dad in louisville kentucky and my mom in uh cincinnati ohio they were both part of desegregation uh, movements. And I just started hearing those stories. I'm 40 and I'll be 41 next week. But I just started hearing stories from them about those times and things that were going on. And there is that John Henry got to work, you know, this this much is hard for a shorter life existence because you're overworked and underpaid and all of that stuff. But I, I really want to focus in on what I've heard from you. And thank you so much for sharing all of that in terms of your story. It's so much context. And I think if we could just sit and listen to each other and like where we come from in our, our history, because intergenerationally, that's actually the conversation and all the diversity, equity, inclusion stuff and work that I do now, of course, race the conversation. Some people aren't ready to have that conversation, but it can always be a conversation. We can always talk about race because like you said, it still exists right now. Racism, uh, systemic racism, regional racism, like there's so much racism that you can see now. It may be a little more subversive or passive aggressive, or we say Midwest nice about it, right? When people are like, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were the custodian or I thought you were the janitor. And you're like, I have degrees, like whatever. But anyway, like it gets really complicated, but in this intergenerational conversation and you work now, you know, in clinical prevention, right? And you work with Gen Z and you work with alpha and you work with millennials, how are you seeing this conversation about resilience, right? Because I'm hearing all of the resilience you have in your life, all of the learning from maybe missteps or not giving grace or giving grace and having some room because this generation can be very, oh, if you're not gonna 
if you're going to misgender me, then I'm not going to spend any time with you or I'm going to go. And they're not being that grace in relationship, whether it be our family, chosen family or friends. How do you like what do you see as the call to action in community, right? Let's just talk in the trans BIPOC community, in the LGBTQ plus community. What do you see as the call to action around all these different lived experiences and what can sometimes be perceived as like a lack of curiosity or uh, curiosity and respect from those younger generations with like all this wisdom and history and lived experience. And maybe there are times when we as older folks can be like, y'all and we will separate from them so you know so you have children and grandchildren and so like what does this look like from a lineage perspective a call to action perspective organizing like how are you living this out today so i i get that latter part of that that action part so i'm I'm very good at the a lot of times communicating uh verbally how how to fix things or how to navigate those things. So I feel as though a lot of what I do is in action. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you know me, you've heard me say it before, action, 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 speak louder than words. We've all heard that saying before. These conversations, I love a conversation. That's, you know, we need conversations on mm-hmm. these variables and these differences, but the conversation can't always be baked in. How do I say this? Um, emphasizing our differences yeah. and our our needs like for me i want this this and this it mm-hmm. and, and becomes a very very me centered i feel sometimes i feel this me 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 and it needs to be broader it needs to be okay i hear you i see you you know we say that i see you do mm-hmm. you what do you see i guess that's the important part what are you seeing are you seeing what i'm truly projecting or what you think I'm projecting. So that recalls a, that calls for a conversation too. Mm -hmm. And how are we leaving this conversation? If I have one more Teams Zoom meeting with somebody, (laughs) what the problem is, but we'll talk about all what the problems are, but what are we doing for the solutions? How do we fix it? And that's an action thing. Put some people on the side, just, you know, continually do the handle the logistics of that conversation. But we have to have people on the ground that are actually doing those things. And I think sometimes that that miss of wanting to be heard from the gener- different generations. I come from that, you know, what is it, Gen X, them feral babies that were said, yes. go, <laughs> feral babies, go outside. I'm going to lock you out till, you know, the street. My sister and my wife. Yes, they yeah. are. Feral, so, indeed. <laughs> feral in a good way. I mean, yeah, gonna, yeah, we need them. We love them. You no, know, we're very gruff. I'm going to just say gruff. I'm kind of gruff, um, but it's all out of love. Uh, Y'all been through some things, to be honest. That part. So it's like, <laughs> you know, it's that hard shell. You know, Destiny, my, my, that's my daughter. We were talking yesterday and she was like, I forget that you, you guys didn't have like mental health care. And I remember if you were prescribed Prozac mm-hmm. when I was a kid, that's because you were in a mental institution oh, or wow. had, it wasn't something that you were just doing on a you know daily basis. Everybody was doing it at that level. Prozac was this big deal drug. And it was like, oh, you are just absolutely then one flew over to Cuckoo's Nest. That was a movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it was really bad and it wasn't just readily acceptable. So you weren't able to just like express feelings of a of 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 
breakdown. And mm-hmm. we've gone, I feel, to an extreme in some situations where that's all it's about is the feeling of the breakdown, but we're not talking about how we build that back up. Mm-hmm. And I will get very frustrated when I hear, I still like the trans right stuff. So I'm out there and you probably saw it. I put it on Facebook when I'm standing out there over standing up for some rights, some trans rights that were being, you know, that are trying to be taken. Mm-hmm. Um, that old school slipped in too, because I had to say something on Facebook too to my, to my BIPOC community, because I'm like, you do realize that the, the bait and switch of old, where we're going to make you focus on the trans stuff because everybody's very cautious about identifying or being an ally with that. But yeah. then on the bottom, the fine print down here says, well, let's not talk about any racial stuff in school anymore because that makes white folks uncomfortable. You're going to miss that because you're going to be up here focusing, well, I'm not trans, so it doesn't affect me. Right. And that's where I think. I guess the point I'm trying to make with how we get focused on me and what focuses what what affects just me versus a marginalized collective, because the politicians have gotten smarter and more ta- well. I'm going to say smarter, more tactical, and strategic. Not- yeah. <laughs> yeah, like strategic. Yeah, strategic in in sliding some shit in because now don't look up five mm-hmm. years. Ask if your kids learned about you know working on the railroads and why they're not working, you know, learning about stuff in our black history when it slipped through on some other thing that you said you, you, well, I didn't pay any attention. It didn't have an effect to me. Nobody said that. Well, it's not my job to always inform you. It's your job to actively get up and check on those things that, are, that affect you too. Mm-hmm. And then if you're fussing about somebody physically, you know, their presence in being somewhere, you know, what, what, where are you fussing about that from? Are you on Facebook talking mm-hmm. about who's over here present doing this thing, but you're not, you know? And then I told you about the situation with some, it was like, what was it, Gen Z's? What, what are the little ones that they knew younger? Alpha, young, alpha, 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 alpha. So I had a situation where I, I, I had this discussion too, and I know I'm gonna get a lot of ink on this one. So my allies, okay? Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you this. I come from a generation that said, my mama said, don't trust them white folks. Okay. And that's, mm-hmm. that's the generation we were raised in because at that time you absolutely blatantly saw why not to trust white folks. Yeah. And I had my own experience just, just as of recent, 54 years old, mm-hmm. I have worked very hard to educate and train for what I do. And let me tell you how it was not easy being a black lesbian firefighter. Right. Coming in. Okay. Um, however, it was something you're not going to run me away. I'm just going to work harder to, to succeed at that because you keep telling me no. But when I do all this stuff to build a resume building, you know, this is going to build because I have to have 10 times more than my counterparts. Sure. And then I get asked questions like, well, what, what makes you think you can serve a community that you are not part of? Like, you don't know anything. I got, well, I don't know nothing, but I got asked that by one of my allies. So this was an individual that served the community, um, questioning me on my ability to serve because I wasn't marginalized. I said, well, first of all, this is a video call. You can clearly see that I, I am melanated. 
but we come in all shapes, shades, and sizes. Mm-hmm. So you just assumed that I wasn't black enough. And then when I called you on that, you said, well, I thought you were Latinx. I said, oh, this is- Is that not marginalized enough? (laughs) They're not marginalized enough? Exactly. So then you proceed to say, just look at me like, I said, well, I am, I'm black and I'm trans. And both of those were met with a, like I was lying about it. And this white person is the judge of all blackness and transness. And I said, I said, what makes you- capable of serving a community that you're not a member of because they were Caucasian and they were not one of the letters. Um, (laughs) Didn't identify as one of those letters. And they said, well, I'm educated. I went to school for all this. So there it said, that was all. So because I'm black, trans or Latinx and trans, I can't be educated. I didn't receive enough education. That's wild. I was tokenized and put in this role. Um, but you never came to me and asked. You assumed that I was to assume that you were educated, but you couldn't assume that I was educated. In 2023, did you actually navigate the conversation by asking me? So I, I found myself in conversations following that, introducing myself and saying, hey, in case you don't know my background, let me share a little bit about myself since we're mm-hmm. just um an opportunity to speak and here I was again having to set the set set the set the stage for why you should listen to me mm-hmm. it's enough that I can just have lived experience in what we do but that I had to prove to you that not the lived lived experience wasn't enough I had to be educated also so when I had those the conversation wasn't navigate it completely different. Well, we're going to end this conversation. So that's fine. And I found myself and reminded of some of us like you, Karen, have to be the ones that step up and, okay, (laughs) I'm going to put my feelings to the side on this because I come through this and just, I know where you're at right now. I just want to fuck around and find out. I just just want that part of me says, go whip that ass. Yeah. I had to be better than that. And right. Yes, now. Um, <laughs> but there has to be that put some of us that are able to take that. And I think that's the category I put myself in and a lot of action, a lot of what I do in the community mm-hmm. is you can say all you want about me. I don't engage it, um, which is why I loved the opportunity to talk with you because mm-hmm. I'll talk behind the scenes, but I'm, I'm not going to engage this conversation on a Facebook. I'm not going to engage this conversation and, and venues that aren't appropriate, right. but, and I will answer, if you want to know what I'm doing, where I come from, why I'm here in this space, why I step up and have literally put myself in front of a bullet for my community. Oh my that's goodness. Talking about, because mm-hmm. that's how I do it. That doesn't mean that's how you have to do it, but that's how I was taught to step up and put myself in the action space of, I can handle this. I'm going to train to get better at it. And I'm going to say, this is what we do. Let's go right now, because yeah. we have to be able to respond and react right now. The conversations can be had by those folks who are better at that than I am. But when the shit hits the fan, I promise you might want me next to you. Man, okay. for real. <laughs> I do. I know I do. 
And so thinking about this from like an incrementalist, I consider myself kind of an incrementalist. Um, we can call it radical incrementalist because every small motion, you know, is moving towards something. But um, as someone who sees that when you have people who are abolitionist or um, people who are on the ground, right? Like so much respect for what they do. But there is something to be said about those of us who are having conversations, who are putting our emotions aside. There is an emotional toil and an emotional labor tax that we experience by being in these spaces and trying to bridge the gap. Some may even say that we shouldn't try, um, but those are also the same people that will accept the support of white allies if there are resources and um, almost sometimes, in my opinion, this is just my opinion since we're here, um, exploiting some of those dollars and saying we we deserve reparations. And then there are white people that are like, yeah, I, I do believe that. And we we do, but it should be a government thing. I think it should be something that the government does for us. But they're, they're the same people that are like, oh, well, if this white person wants to pay me, that white money is good enough for you, but it's not good enough for you to trust them or be in the trenches with them or go in solidarity with them, right? It's it's different relationship. And I've seen that and I've just been like, mm. but then I realized that I don't get, I'm not saying people people do respect me for a lot of reasons. That's There's some nuance here, but sometimes that can also mean that people aren't respecting the work that goes into those conversations, the work that goes into stepping up and saying, if I don't have this conversation, I'm not sure who's going to. And I want to make sure that this comes from me. And I want to make sure I say the thing, even if the result that I get is a por- a part of this, is a portion of what I'm asking for. I know what my ask is going to be. I know how clear and direct I can be. I know how compassionate and kind I can be. Not nice, but I am kind. And so I know how nice and how, how kind and compassionate I can be to make my asks. And I'm going to ask for everything. Like I'm asking for all of it. And sometimes government will be like, oh, or city council, I can only do this. And I'm like, well, that's a shame, but I'm going to take that though. I'm going to take whatever that is, of course, but that doesn't mean there's not more work to do. So I don't know if people understand fully what those behind the scenes conversations look like, um, how much people are being advocated for, even though it may not feel like it. There's so much wrong with the world right now there's so much going on like you said they're like oh ufos and you're like yeah like our world is burning like the earth is burning um it's a climate crisis now it's not even climate change at this point like it's a climate crisis now right so everything from human rights to um climate crisis to financial desecration is like where we're headed to, to, um, you know, billionaires running things and oppression and systemic power, all the kind of things exist, but there's not a lot of respect given to, to that group of millennials and Gen Xers that I do see having those conversations in the trenches at the government level, at the policy level, at the legislative level, at the, you know, tables before they go into the legislative sessions level. And I just, how do you feel about that? Like, do you experience that? What's going on? I feel that's part of the team effort, though, because please, God, do not ask me to go have a conversation. <laughs> One of those but while you're having that conversation, I will stand outside that door and make sure that you have a safe space to mm-hmm. have that conversation because that's plain. But I, I, you're exactly right. This is a it, it's a whole team effort. It's a collective. It's challenging to not get caught up in the emotional emotional turmoil that it's having on you as an individual let Mm -hmm. alone the collective you know the group 
So people like you that are speaking, that can articulate beautifully what those, what those needs are and those demands are. I learned so much, just even sitting in this conversation right now, just hearing you articulate some of the things. I'm like, oh, look at the babies. <laughs> so proud that, you know, listen. They're telling me I'm an elder. I'll take the babies any day. You, you can tell me that anytime you want. Okay. It will disrespect <laughs> that. I mean, the, no. the, the younger, more learned folks at that, <laughs> that are able to articulate that do get disrespect. And I, I, that's what I look, I wouldn't have transitioned if it, if it wasn't for the younger generations. Right. I didn't know 10 years ago, I didn't know this was something I had the ability to do. Mm -hmm. And we have to remember that if we are not communicating and working as a team within our own communities and networks, then how are we going to beat those outside of here? You know, Mama used to say all the time, you don't walk out this house, let somebody know your personal business. Y'all better go out here holding hands and skippity doing, because if anybody else thinks that there's some turmoil in here, I'm going to beat that ass. Yeah. And we do this. We look up. I mean, I look at incidents within the past year. More attention was put towards the inner turmoil than the fact of we got bigger fish to fry. We could never, ever allowing people outside the enemy for lack of a better word to see us fight within that is our personal business we should be where they say uh uh praise in public punish in private or well, however that saying goes i don't mean <laughs> but you know you're you're talking to each other we should be doing that behind closed doors and we can argue we can agree to disagree but that doesn't mean we have to show anybody outside of here that we're not on the same page because malcolm x Martin Luther King, same goals, freedom, respect, different roads. And we're hearing now that they actually didn't have as much contention and conflict between each other now that some FBI documents are being uh, shared. But yes, what? absolutely the same goal. And yeah. it's one of those things where it's like, um, I, I play team sports. I, I I'm a point guard. You know, I love the team decision but it's also like sometimes I am looking at my team like is this is this my team because I didn't ask you know I didn't ask I didn't wake up and decide to be non-binary or gender non-conforming or like not black like I can't make that decision but at the same time it's like when I look at our community um I wish we were more civically engaged um mm -hmm. I wish we were more unified in our talking points and who we let be the talking person. Like you're literally saying, that's not my lane. That's not my ministry, right? You go, you go and have the conversation. I'm gonna make sure you're safe to do that. And I, I don't think there's enough collaboration um, around that because I think we have a lot more collective power than we acknowledge. And so mm -hmm. I think, I don't know if I'll see the end of that um, tension internally within our community before right. my life is over, but I, right. I hope to make it less and like it more, less contentious, you know, yeah. within that thing because I think we can have conversations but I, you can't make me believe what you believe like you can't make me think what you think and I can't make you like it's the same it's almost the same thing that we're asking the society to enjoy and appreciate us for who we are and not condemn yeah. us shame us or guilt us but then we shame each other within the community for having different ideological beliefs around how this movement works should go preach that's exactly what I'm talking about that's what the point of this whole conversation and me wanting to sit with you that mm -hmm. it, it that is the factor. 
we do exactly internally what we're asking them not to do externally. We're not trying to get oppressed. Like one oppression doesn't make another oppression go away. Like, exactly. Uh, yeah. I know we're smarter than that. And we just, and then how easy, I just, I don't know. I think this is the Gen Xer part. I'm going to be honest with you. My sure. part is, okay, just stop it. There doesn't have to be all this and all that. Can we just stop and move forward? Put that behind us. Now, what do we do? The legit, the action part. Okay, we know that exists. Everybody raise their hand and understands it. Let's sit down at this table and figure out how to win the war. And that's what needs to happen. And that's- But, they, but here, like, back to your point, though, they don't even know the history enough to know where to start. That's the kicker. That's the kicker because they're, and I, what I appreciated so much about- Corey and Aaron and Luster, and I know you were there in a, in a safety capacity, um, but like Corey, Aaron, Luster, and Chris, you know, when we're looking at that, that recent drag thing, it was like, all right, it's got to be us. Like Corey was like, it's got to be me. And mm-hmm. I think just understanding, like we have organizing capacity. I can't literally, like I tore my Achilles seven years ago. I can't mm-hmm. sprint. That is why I do all of the behind the scenes thing. I'm getting, you know, resources to the people that are handing out bags. I'm helping people with extrication. Like, you know, I'm trying to do all the things that I can do from behind the scenes, like with my headphones on, with my phone ready and with all my resources and community. I'm like, get out of there, do this, do this, do that. But I can't run. And now we're. I feel like this is calling us because I'm not saying anyone's doing it wrong. I'm just saying, I don't think they're doing it back with the history that would be helpful. Like, here's how we've already tried to do it. Like, let, let's collaborate because I do think that the younger generations have a lot of ideas, but we can always say, we already tried that, but we could try it with this instead, right? And so there could be some collaboration. It would be brilliant, but I don't know if if every generation is ready to, to meet the others with a collaborative mindset. But isn't that the definition of insanity? Clearly, to continue to do the same thing and expect a different result. That is why I feel probably close to crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and folks keep wanting to re- reinvent the wheel, do this. Well, they did this. We're going to do it again. It didn't work before. So right. we need to have the nuances to fix some things, tweak this, turn it this way, try a little bit different because that didn't work. Mm-hmm. We are a hundred years later and <sighs> it didn't change shit. Go South. <laughs> okay. Let's go deep South. And let me show you a mentality, a lifestyle that still exists. And you wonder why they can't accept none of them letters and that politicians are doing this. It still exists. And we keep responding. We're going to do this, this and this. And this is what's going to change. We have to do this. No, we had. We did that. Didn't work. They're expecting that. And people don't have clean water, right? Like we're talking about this and people don't have clean water. People are still in poverty. People don't have place to live. Yes. People, but people are required to have vaccines. Like you, I mean, like you're like, it's what is what is going on? <laughs> Got to have a vaccine, but the side effects are going to put me down. So I don't even have a bed to lay in to deal with them side effects. Mm. You know, and look at look at the poverty, the homelessness, the kids, the children that don't have homes, but don't put them with some gay folk. And like we're pro life, but like sorry about your life. That, that part, I love that. We're going to put that on a shirt. Pro, pro-life. Pro-life. Sorry, sorry about your life. Sorry you have to work to pay everything out that you can't even live. I mean, it, it's just like life lives us. We don't live life. 
and it's sitting- barely existing. It barely. And what what is that? What is in that? Nothing. I mean, as I get closer to death, to be honest with you, it really hits home. And you're just mm-hmm. like, I cannot continue to just let life beat me down like this. But on the same token, I can't leave here and not have made some type of impact to make it better for the next generation. Yes. You know, so yes. it's it's that fatigue and it's more fatigue fighting within. I work in entities that are in spaces that are supposed to be my community. I worry more about my job in a space that is supposed to be my safe space for not only the community that I live in, but the person I am. And I worry more about my job there than I do at any other entity that isn't me. They they follow this rule or that rule and it makes it harder. At least I know that battle. I know how to battle at the local healthcare facility to keep my job. I know what they can't do and what they won't do because of the legalities of this, that, and the other thing. Mm-hmm. In other spaces, I don't. Why am I more targeted there? or feeling more targeted in those spaces than I am in the enemy space. You know, it's just, Mm -hmm. there is just such bigger shit going on. We would have so much power to step up and stand for shit as a group. Like the blood tribe don't step out one at a time. The proud boys are national. I mean, look at some of these entities we fight with and their collective effort and how much power they hold. And resources. And we, and we can't fucking do it. What the fuck is wrong? All these, all the leaders, but no followers. You have to be a good, you have to create the desire to be followed. This could be, this could be a conspiracy theory of sorts, but I will say that this could be all found in three things. The reason why we can't come together. I'm just going to say this. People can call me crazy. They can call it a hot take. But I'm going to say that between poverty, lack of education, and lack of social emotional space or safety, that's why we cannot come together because we all have different upbringings around education, around our class, and around our, um, especially when you look at Black and BIPOC, um, Indigenous, absolutely. But I mean, there's there's so much killing of them that is not even being addressed. And even when you look at unconquered tribes, there's still a lot of locus of social control, you know, there, but like indigenous people of color, like there's so much division amongst all of those different ethnicities and races as that was also a construct. Right. But like, when you look at, if you look at poverty, education and access to education and then social emotional opportunities to learn, if you put, Everything that's wrong in the world, you could probably put it in one of those categories as a root cause. And we're not going after those root causes. So that, that is my that is my hot take. And I, I can't talk to somebody that doesn't have say the same language I have or doesn't um, have the same history or understanding or baseline of information that I do. And if we don't have that same kind of information, it's hard to have a conversation. Not impossible, but hard. Hard. Yeah. And 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 you are exactly right. And if somebody anybody thinks that that's like a conspiracy, then then, then they're just not looking at. They're them. rich. That's why they think they won't like it. If they're rich, and I say it's about poverty, education, yep. or access to education and social emotional, they'll be like, uh, and I'll be like, social emotional, you need that. Yep. <laughs> they won't like that. They'll no. say it's CRT or something. Yep. yep. 
and the and but that is the fact that is the fact and that is just perpetuating it continues to go and but and i think looks part of those things are you know who who doesn't want to be have some let me say financial stability yeah you know who doesn't want to have emotional you know just be emotionally sound i mean you know mm-hmm. i don't think anybody's stable <laughs> but no. um you know that's that, that comfort and just be able to i can't imagine a day in life not worrying about one of those subject matters you just mentioned. But I can't imagine talking to people that on a regular basis don't worry about a lot of those at one time. And I know what those folks look like. And I know your social emotional social emotional wellness is going to be great if you don't have to worry about where your next meal is coming from, if you don't have to worry about your bills being paid, if you don't have to worry about how you're going to pay tuition so you can get this job, so you can get this accreditation. I guarantee you the like you won't have like if poverty and education and access to that are taken care of, the social emotional wellness is almost a symptom because mm-hmm. people say money can't buy you happiness, but it sure can buy you a lot less worry. That that part fact. Sure can. I mean, look at it. You're talking about conspiracy theory. There, no, it's not conspiracy. Even look at your schools where we're starting with this, the early stages. Look at the quality of the buildings, the equipment, the books, the supplies in an inner city versus Worthington, Westerville. Mm-hmm. So why and that's all redlining, right? Like that's all neighborhoods yep. and redlining. And that's based on what? That neighborhood's income. Because should my state have more money than my local Worthington neighborhood? So they should be able to put that back into my school. That's a city school. And Columbus used to have neighborhoods that were specifically, and they're all our black and brown neighborhoods now, um, that were specifically deplorable. And so banks wouldn't give them loans. So see, where the, it just perpetuates. See? And look I don't at, have to write about this theory now. <laughs> listen, listen, I'll go down with you on this one. because. <laughs> I will stand there and, and write with you because it's been, we got a little 10 year, yeah, what, 10, 12 year gap there between us, uh-huh. but we've seen it. We've seen it. My mom could stand up and say the same thing. Mm-hmm. The schools that she went to, the opportunities that she had. I mean, it's, and it's to this day, I just, I've got two daughters that we've had to put in college. Mm-hmm. I look at the school and how much money they will put into things that are not pertinent to adulthood. But you got to pay to play or pay to be in the arts. That part. But you don't know, but I, I didn't know what a credit score was until I was in my, you know, 30s. I didn't know Come what for that. You know, we don't have checks anymore, but I shit, I remember I didn't know how to I write checks. a check. I do have checks. I'm going to say okay. that. But I mean, but if I could, there's stuff that I could put in front of my kids and they'd be like, I have no idea. Like constantly talking to um, my kids about how important paying your bills are and how that that just the latter, you know, the stair step effect of that. I I know we're getting close, but I wanted to say this. And you're talking about the kids and the struggles with seeing these differences. I didn't realize. I never raised boys until now. You know, you always mm-hmm. it's going to be my, my first time having a 35 year old daughter. It's my first time having a you know 11 year old son. It's a lot of first. You know, people yeah. think get even if you got five kids you still are not a pro it's your first time having four kids with one that's 11 I mean it's just <laughs> there's always a first but I had spoken about this at an event 
with looking at my children. So you're always teaching. It's always a teaching moment, which, you know, Mm -hmm. they hate, but (laughs) you have to give them those tools. And I have a 15, soon to be 16 year old son that um, is just amazing. Okay. I've been blessed with some amazing children um, with eyes wide open. So we're always fussing at the boys about as he was getting older about coming home and, and, and we live in Worthington. So there was a lot of the BLM stuff was going on, you know, during the COVID and things like that and trying to help um, my kids understand that because, you know, I remember these conversations with my mother and what things looked like in my youth that were different for a while or appeared to be different in, in our current society and never raising boys or young men. Mm-hmm. I didn't hadn't prepared for the conversation and what it looks like mm-hmm. with our society and the expectations and the challenges that were going to be met by them. And I also hadn't planned on being a black man either. So we were learning together and I had to reach out to my mom and get some direction as to uh, raising, raising boys and, mm-hmm. and kind of help on some different things because that that can be a different challenge. And the son, the 15 year old had wanted to go to the movies and, and he's all very independent, but very responsible. And we're like, yeah, you can go to the movies and meet your friend at the movie theater. He walked, I mean, it's probably not even a mile from the house to go to the movie theater. And he was told, you know, what time he was supposed to be home. And on his way home, um, he was pushing it. It was getting, it was getting dark and, and, and he was getting close to the five minute marker to be home. And he comes in the door and um, my partner and I actually are sitting in here and uh, mom can be a little harder on him than I can set times. And he comes in the door, comes over to actually the chair I'm sitting in right now and just hits the floor and falls out and is sweating, covered in sweat, out of breath and burst into tears. And every time I tell this story, it makes me cry because it just makes me so fucking angry. Mm-hmm. I said, what is wrong? You know, the, the parent in me hopped up like, okay, I know how to whoop an ass. Who's messing with you? Let me go out <laughs> the door and snatch a kink in somebody. Mm-hmm. He proceeds to explain that I was coming home and I knew I was running late. And the closer I got to home, the more scared I got and the faster I ran. Because mm-hmm. all I was thinking about is some cop or some white person is going to see me running and think I did something bad mm-hmm. and stop me. Mm-hmm. I just got more and more scared the closer I got and ran faster and faster. And this boy got in his house and fell out exhausted. Mm-hmm. And I was so angry that I'm at 50 some years old. And that's what my child has to do. Mm-hmm. That's how my child runs home scared to death, not of getting in trouble with mom, but of dying before he can get to mom. Mm. And that was a realization that I was like, oh my God, where are we? What is yeah, going in the on? suburbs? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it, it, it just changed a lot for me. And I think that people don't realize that you know, I went into that story because you're saying this, it's not a conspiracy. This is the same shit, different day. Mm-hmm. 
different different tools to get it it's easier to kill us now it's easier to put us down now you know they've they've tricked us into reliant on all these types of things you know status based on your cell phone whether or not you got an apple or a samsung um can you afford a note but we'll give you an obama phone and then that's Mm -hmm. the brunt of a joke but it's communication shit i remember when mine didn't leave the house okay i had to push the buttons or dial the thing right right? (laughs) (laughs) so all these things that are rich people status, rich white people statuses, and yeah. and another way how to oppress and suppress a, a community of marginalized community. Period. I don't care where 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 what category they're placing you in, but we have to collectively stand up, Karen. We do, and the fo- the fact that we don't see the power in that is so frustrating at times. We look at the at Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and how strong they would have been together. insanity continue to separate ourselves instead of learning from that and saying listen how much stronger we will be together mm-hmm. as a marginalized entity because other places do it what is wrong with us get it together work together we because all want they to found a way to make sure that none of our education none yep. of our class none of our social emotional wellness is aligned and we it, when it comes like class to class, it's harder to appreciate and understand the struggles of another class. And that's what they've done. They've been like, oh, race is not a big thing anymore. We know it is. Race is not a big thing anymore. So let's let's put it on class. And then now it's the haves and the have nots. Right. And that is a raceless space. Um, so it's it's interesting to hear that. But I do think this brings me into, um, you know, the last questions of of this session. And I just really thank you for all of your uh, vulnerability and sharing like this is rich and if there's nothing else that this podcast does um, I want to store history here um, I want to have these conversations and um, they'll be archived on YouTube forever um, so I will say this um, as you are moving through that and I hear the history of you know epigenetic trauma and stories and and oral history and all of that so how are you caring for yourself? And how are you? (laughs) I know you just went on a vacation that has been long overdue. And I know your wife is very happy about that. But how are you caring for yourself in the interim, knowing that this may not be something we see fully fulfilled in our lifetime? You know, what does that look like for you to put that at a pace that's reasonable and to sustain yourself? Um, Learning. I'm learning that from folks like you, how important it is to fill my own cup. Because I absolutely cannot pour from an empty cup. And my cup was pretty damn empty. And what's crazy is you don't realize it's empty till you go to fill it up. Or you're just <laughs> snapping at everybody and they're like, that you good? That part, you know, or your nickname becomes asshole. <laughs> hey, asshole. How you been? Bad day again? <laughs> exactly. You know, I don't, I, I, with that, literal vacation, I learned how empty I can allow myself to get and how that has affected those around me. Mm-hmm. And the worry, uh, you know, and I, I, I'll say this here, I haven't said this um, publicly, but right before I went on vacation, I was sick and I had been struggling with, you know, that Gen X where I, tough it out, it'll be okay. I'll be all right. <laughs> I'll be all right. 
Just take a Robitussin, put <laughs> a Robitussin, rub it on it, drink it, swallow it, snort it, whatever you got to do, you'll be fine. Just get <laughs> um, If you get too much sleep, that's going to make it worse. So fine, fine. <laughs> Ginger ale, you'll be all yeah. right. <laughs> so I end up waking up in pain and, and found myself in the hospital, <gasps> and, um, which is a whole nother conversation you probably should have later on this is about okay. that patient advocacy because yes. through the hospital visit I found um, some things that red flagged that had been just totally ignored and not shared with me mm. uh, because at the time they were seen I was uninsured and black <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you um, so you could have prevented some of that absolutely and I'm dealing with that repercussions of that and conversations around that accountability on that because I was diagnosed with a uh, cardiac sarcoidosis my um which doesn't have a very good prognosis but like I told my daughter I said at least I'll go quick you won't have to wipe my ass for weeks um mm. but um it's what Bernie Mac died of cardiac okay. sarcoidosis but I had a ejection fraction which is my heart was pumping at about uh, not quite even a quarter of what it should be. Mm -hmm. And they had seen that in 2017 and didn't say anything. And it's lucky, lucky that I've been stayed alive because I should have, my heart should have quit. Oh my gosh. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm building that stuff back up and, you know, getting the treatment and medication, but that sudden realization of, oh shit, hey, I should have been dead. Um, be that life is short um, and you got to make the best of it because what what is important to me is what I leave behind. The one conversation my dad had me, with me, and this was right before he passed away, just a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. The measure of a man is how many people are at his funeral. That's what he said to me. And uh, he says, be a better man than me. Because mm. there was nobody there. They didn't even allow me there. Um, wow. But I realized that looking around at these people that depend on me, I owe it to those that love me and respect me and enjoy me to be the best me I can. And I hadn't been being that me. I had been being that me for everybody but the people that were right closest to me mm. and that were going to be affected if I wasn't here. And when we went, I found out that diagnosis the day before I left for Miami. And my wife and I went down there and it was, you know, kind of profound to be able to go down there and go, okay, this, this is what I needed. This is mm -hmm. what life out these moments with those mm -hmm. people you love and filling that cup up has to be just as fulfilling as pouring it out and if I could leave any wisdom with anybody mm -hmm. you gotta remember that it is it is much more important because what goes in is what's coming out too so if you put bullshit in that cup you're gonna be pouring bullshit out of that cup <laughs> okay that is metaphoric and literal. <laughs> that part. So I, I learned that we just have to, we have to take some me time. And I don't, I don't, I don't know what that looks like. And I have to ask, I'll ask folks like you, 
you know, my you daughter. You my wife, she'll put your whole plan together. Yes. <laughs> she'll yes. put your whole rest plan together. You know, because <laughs> I see the work that both of you do just constantly. Mm. But I also see you fill that cup up appropriately. I will sign lot, off in a minute. Enough, but better than I do. So mm. I want to learn that from those that are better at it because it is so much more important than what's, I mean, it, it is, it dictates what comes out. I mean, mm-hmm. like I said, just literally the shit I'm putting in that cup is what I'm going to pour out. So if I'm putting, you know, crap in there, crap's coming out. So I need to, you need to take that self-care time. You need to take that moment to say, Hey, let me put some good stuff in here. Mm-hmm. Let me smile. You know, I look at the pictures when we were at Miami uh, and then pictures of recent as I've been back dealing with BS. And I'm like, I can see it on myself. Mm. You can stress carry. I'm tired of aging. I thought, you know, the black not supposed to crack. I need to keep working you're on doing, that. You're doing great. Y'all but, are doing uh, great. But what I will say, the best advice I ever got, and then I'm going to hand it over to you for last thoughts and then any questions or scenarios you have for me. Um, but I... I heard this best advice I've ever received is the ship is always going to sail, whether you're on that bitch or not. And that's the truth. Look at all these ships sailing. Like if I leave this earth today, like the world's going to continue to go on. And I think, you know, that then it becomes, okay, well, what experience do I want to have while I'm here? Because the world is going to move on. It may be hard for some more than others, but like the world is going to move on. Even with a dynamic legacy, the world is still has to move on. And that ship is going to sail and it's going to do the same, whether I take myself out of it or not. Right. In terms of this event, in terms of this project, in terms of this conversation, like actually I can, if I can make time for it, but if I need to take a step back, then I get to do that. And I, I was only doing that for when people were dying, like starting around the pandemic. And my therapist was like, what if we looked at like ways to clear your calendar on days where you just needed more space and not when somebody's dying? I was like, that's a great idea. You know, so little things like that, the ships are always going to sail. People are always going to figure out ways to do the things that they want to do, whether I'm there or not, and not feeling so self-important myself to think that I, you know, because I used to say, if it's not me, then who? And if not now, then when, you know? And the truth is like, it'll happen. It'll be somebody else and it'll be whenever it happens with that somebody else. And so that was a way to like put myself into perspective, I think, to like hear that advice and then apply it to the fact that I can't be everywhere. Yeah, that part, the applying part is where where we struggle. That's hard, that's the struggle, absolutely. Cause you're like, oh yeah, like I really care about this. I wanna be there. Oh, but then there's this thing going on too. Oh, and I really haven't slept in or not left the house for a whole day this week. I should probably like stay at home and just refill my cup, right? But um, those are choices and it's hard when you're used to being available and present for everyone that you love and care about. It's hard. Absolutely. And I definitely agree with that. It's uh, some of that guilt too. Mm -hmm. That guilt that we got to keep pushing, Mm -hmm. keep keep pushing. Yeah, our parents and... uh, Mm-hmm. those boomers man they made it they made us so they made us so if <laughs> you get up get up yeah sleep, you're dead. i mean literally that's what they said yeah <laughs> for sure i've heard that too and yeah. so my dad still says that because he's still yeah. working at 75 and he just went through cancer and yeah. i was like dad like do you have to work he was like man i've been having to work since i was 16 that part. I was like and it's hard. Like, I don't want that for you, man. If I can contribute to you not having to live like that, I'm gonna do yes. that. Cause no, yeah. no, yeah. yeah. 
And I think that's uh, you saying that was uh, is is key too. Is we have to look at what that looks like generationally, and we do. You know, white folks do that shit all the time. Generational wealth, and whether that be you know monetary or not, but we need to do that with our generations. You know, we need to be making bigger and better and offering setting that up to win. And that's, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that drives me to beat myself up a lot of times is saying, okay, I can handle it, but my grandson will never be able to do this. So let me go out here and <laughs> let me beat myself to death. Uh, so he, no. he doesn't. I'm finding somebody, I'm hiring somebody immediately. I've gotten <laughs> to the point where I'm like, the money is nice and necessary, but like I'm spending it towards sustainable things. I'm investing it. I'm I'm paying people to care for the people that I love. And because really that's time. It's not that I can't do it. It's just if I'm going to be the visionary and creative and community builder that I want to be, then I also have to replenish and I also have to delegate. Like I have to delegate. I can't do it all. Yeah, that's the hard part, though, isn't it? Especially when your finances for all these years probably haven't added up to your expertise. Like. Erin was doing laundry the other day and she was like oh we just need somebody who would do all this for us I was like yeah we need a personal chef too but like I can't afford that yet you know what I mean so it's like we kind of have to just do what we can do right until then but you know because of who we are we worry that that may not be available to us so we hoard things too like okay I gotta save this I gotta I gotta be frugal with this and frugal with that because everything will go away and we like we are judged. We are judged around thriving. They've taught us that poverty is a virtue. That goes back to that poverty education and social emotional wellness. They done taught us that poverty is a virtue. And yep. I didn't sign up for a vow of poverty. So <laughs> I'm thriving. I'm going to thrive. And I'm going to do as much yes. as I can for the people that I love that, that seem Absolutely. to be showing signs of wanting to do things themselves. I can't yep. want it more than you. But at the same time, I'm not going to be stingy with my money, but I'm also going to take care of it and invest it well. And at the end of the day, I'm not going to feel bad for doing nice things like going on a vacation. Right. Right. Please. You need to get a program so that we can we can figure out how we do that with no guilt. We, we got to yeah. work through it. That's the only way to it is through it. <laughs> through it. OK, so just keep doing. Yeah. Just, we just got to yeah. unravel those socialized messages that kept telling us that poverty is a virtue. Yeah. And that was the only life that we would have. And we had to make best, make do with what we have. And all you can hope for is a heaven that don't have your oppressors in it. And uh, and like streets of gold. Like, what do I care about gold if I've never known gold? But anyway, that's another conversation. But I will say this. So, um, you know, keep doing that. Hit me up, especially about um, rest. And we, we got to make time to hang out, especially in this month of our... Um, goddess and lord aaron's birthday and my birthday so um happy august so what i will say yeah so do you have any questions for me or any scenarios for me i normally do a situational hot seat i'm gonna make it more lax because i got some wisdom on the other side of the call and so i'm gonna ask um if you have any scenarios or anything you want to just ask me while we're here i would love to answer or brainstorm or think through what i would do in a situation and and then normally, if you want to talk about how you maybe would have handled it differently or you're going to handle it differently, that's cool. Um, and we'll hear what you did as well if it's a scenario. Is that too confusing? Let's break it down. So share a scenario. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you how I would deal with it. 
I mean, I, I would love to go back to the scenario based on the, that I spoke briefly on about, mm-hmm. you know, folks frequently come to me because I'm not the person that's listing some background or resume when I'm mm-hmm. doing things. I try to just show in action. So what what is the best way to communicate to folks the professional background mm-hmm. of things? Know, when I'm coming to those spaces and they're and I'm constantly treated and I and I will tell you that you know let me give you I do have a scenario they happen to me daily so I just had a situation where I was discussing guidelines on how to handle something in in, in a perspective of processing so say sterile processes that you couldn't do a b and c in these processes and repeatedly said this repeatedly was met with questions now when i when i present a guideline in a safety capacity i present it based on the osha codes um rules orcs any all the rules that are surrounding whatever this process is it's never something that i come and say hey tyson thinks this would be the best way to navigate this mm-hmm. i'll come guideline a b and c says these are the things these are the specs the logistics of this this is what you've got to this is what should guide you in this process mm-hmm. um but what why i'll get the but why's are you sure um well it's you can see it readily on the orc you know this is not something that i make up so what would you suggest when those folks come back? They ignore, mm-hmm. ignore, ignore. And then when they come back to me, because somebody not of color that they deem a professional says, yeah, that was right. And then there's this panicked conversation. Well, hey, we need to do A, B, and C because such and such said that this doesn't meet the guidelines. And I say, well, per my last 19 conversations with you, I said that. How do you navigate fixing that or addressing it so that it's it stops happening or it improves or it's just, yeah. a, you know, I just don't know because it is happening to me over and over again. And I don't understand. Well, I think that's A, the environment you work in. Um, B, there's also this notion of um, keep documenting, right? Um, and so if I ever have a chance in those situations, I will first ask questions. So it sounds like you're saying like, like, and try not to be, you know, defensive or whatever, but I will ask a lot of questions like, um, you're asking why, and why is a very accusatory question in general. Um, but you're asking why, is there a particular concern that you're looking to address? Um, I'll say, is there other information that you seem to have that you feel like this would be the best route or the the way that we're doing it is the best route? Um, And then if that is continually ignored, then I would say, um, so you're asking me this, or you've been told by X white person that this was the right way to proceed, or you saw these codes or guidelines from OSHA or whoever was in compliance. I have said this message to you 19 times three times verbally, 16 times in writing. Please help me understand this pattern that has you not accepting my expertise around this. Um, That's also why I put my MED in my signature, right? I'm a master's of education. I'm not just a community teacher because I don't have my education or my degree. I have a mathematics bachelor in science and I have a educational policy and leadership degree from the Ohio State University for my master's. I put MED there, not because I need to for people to know that, but I also tell people like, hey, I've done this. 
So, I mean, Aaron puts her L-I-S-W-S, right? Like, so we put those things out there, not because we care about it, but because they care about it. And maybe they'll listen a little bit differently. But I would start asking um, questions like, is there a specific question or concern you weren't are trying to address by this? This feels like resistance, but I'm just going to be open here to more questions in the sense why, because that is compliance from all the best practices of A, B, C, D, E companies of compliance that we have to adhere to, right? Like you could say that and like, be like, this is why, um, but is there a specific question that you have around these guidelines? Um, and if you do see them starting to go outside of your organization or you for a second opinion or whatever, start saying, I've seen this pattern. What should I deduce from that? The only thing I can deduce is that you don't trust me as an expert. Um, and I don't want to believe that that's the case. I love that. I wish I could write that down right now. I'll text it to you. Okay. <laughs> I love that. Of mm-hmm. that. And that's why I love speaking to y'all. <laughs> Yeah, we're we're used to being in those meetings in those rooms and where you have to act like you're not personally impacted because they said, oh, wow, you can speak so well. And you're like, OK, is there anything specific from my talk that you liked or that you would love to discuss or hear more about or that really you know was relevant to you? And then I can see if they actually listened to it or they just stood there surprised the whole time I was talking for 45 minutes because I was black and articulate. That part. That part. And yeah, why I, I, I ask the questions. Why the fuck is that offensive? that you can articulate the English language. I'm sorry, I have degrees. What did you expect? You know, like, oh. I'm like, you're like, what? Yeah. Well, we can code switch. We're actually smarter because we can technically speak two languages. But, you know, y'all expect everybody to speak English wherever you go. But <laughs> yes, I would, I would ask some questions. I'll text you in that order, like what to do. Um, and, you know, then I think there's this time, I, I talk about point of loss. And point of loss, it's a it's an inequality. I told you I was a math major undergrad, but it's like this inequality where like the impact, if the impact of whatever's happening starts to weigh more on you than your tolerance has or your emotional capacity, eventually you will have to start making decisions um, about whether you can be in that space or how you act in that space um, to take care of yourself. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the hard-headed part of you wants to say, this can I'm, be salvaged. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to get bullied out. Yeah. So yes, then that, they win, right? Yes, because then they win. But do they win? Do I allow them to to win my soul in this? <laughs> you know, yeah. There's a cost to everything, and I think you have yeah. to determine when the cost of staying is is more than the cost of leaving. Preach. You're gonna make me cry, but preach. That was so helpful. Oh my God. I'm I'm mad at myself that I didn't reach out and say, hey, <laughs> help me articulate this repetitive behavior um, and 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 handle this because obviously I'm not navigating it as well as I'd like to in discontinuing the their mentality that they think they can keep saying it. I think that's bothersome. And and you wonder, you know, somebody once told me that. No one can make you feel inferior unless you allow them. That's Eleanor Roosevelt. And I feel like I'm allowing some things and I don't know how to unallow. (laughs) I get it. (laughs) Because if you didn't have those boundaries there before, it actually is harder to tighten up as a leader than it is to, to loosen up. Okay. So, so I mean, I, you just may have to set some new some new guidelines for how to you may have to teach people how to treat you a little differently. 
which is funny because, you know, I get told that I'm just, you know, a certain type of person when that's obviously not the case. If you feel like you can keep stepping in my box, <laughs> like you'd be like crazy. Right. Like why, why do you think that's okay? And I mean, I, getting people to repeat themselves or getting people to um, explain like what they're saying or explain how you should be uh, processing their behavior is a beautiful way to make people be accountable because they're either going to have to say it or they're going to have to completely address the fact because say I come to you and I'm like I didn't mean nothing by that right but then I have to sit at least to get to that answer I have to sit with what you've just asked me is to to look at a pattern of behavior of my own behavior and then speak to it or to answer what I really mean well let me ask you this then you know I get to flip it back and ask you how do you handle folks when you're feeling as though somebody is blatantly talking to you or handling you in a way that's underhanded, Mm -hmm. but directly related to the fact that you are a person of color. And you don't like when I get that feeling, sometimes I want to say, no, 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 you're just you're you don't want to accuse them of that. You know, I'll make all the excuses around am I being am I seeing something that's not there? Um, how do you fix that as an individual? How do I say there's a blank? What is the blanket Mm -hmm. that says when I'm communicating with you and I feel as though you're being condescending or racist in, in what I'm saying, how can I let you know that without letting you know that? Well, how I'm going to ask you this one question first. How do you not know that it's also because you're trans? Oh, I know it's that too. Right. So there we, people with a lot of intersections, we can't always say exactly what it is, but we know it's something. We know it's something. And so when it's that, when it's that layered and that's it's that complicated, I either ask directly, but I also know that my their racism and their homophobia and their transphobia, none of that is my problem. Okay. Right. So I have experienced it a lot where people don't know how to receive me. They they know I'm nice and they're trying to feel me out and see what's going on. I've even had some people try to get me in. Um, situations where they were like going against our boss or, um, you know, just bitch fest or something like that, you know, and I, I don't engage in those type of things. I'm about development and growth. And I know that nowhere is perfect. Um, but we're going to work through that. And I'm really committed to repair, right? So um, I have to figure out what my capacity is for that person. Because if that person is always going to be talking to me, I can only imagine how their life looks, right? And what their friends look and what their circle looks like. But if it's something where it's inhibiting my ability to do my job, then I'm going to have something to say. Otherwise, I'm going to be like, I'm sorry, I'm going to ask them to repeat themselves sometimes that I already heard, especially if it's a racist thing. I'm like, I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. What did you say? Or I'm hearing you say this. And then they have to repeat it. And normally people, if there's some sort of bias in there, they'll change the words. And then you can know like there's some bias in there and they're correcting themselves because people have enough language, at least now to know where to correct themselves. If they messed up, you'd be like, I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. Or am I hearing you ask me if I'm doing this because I'm black? You know what I mean? Like, or whatever the question is, you can repeat the question back to them or repeat the statement back to them and said, am I hearing this correctly? Um, Pause, just pause and ask, ask them what they said and for them to reiterate that. And then I think um, you can, like, there's a list of things. If there are things you can do, that's why I say get your paperwork together. Get your documentation together. On June 27th, this happened. On March 30th, this happened. On July this, this happened. On August, this is a pattern of behavior. And I'm not sure 
I've asked questions each time about what they meant. I've asked questions for clarifying language around this. And my only conclusion right now is that this has happened. I've taken this to them. Now I'm talking to you that you're their supervisor. And I'm like, these four things have happened. And I'm trying to make sure that my workspace has psychological safety here. And I don't feel psychologically safe because I feel like this person has contention that I didn't create. Okay. God damn, that's good. I, I love I love and you take that. the emotion out of it. Like, I see this pattern of behavior. I don't understand this. I don't like this. Here's what okay. I'm, I'm just asking questions. What is it? What's the deal? Okay. And that's okay. Like, I honestly, and I'm not. You should hear some of the shit that the wild folks that are entitled do and say, I've had somebody tell my boss something was bullshit. Like something, like something we were doing that was optional was bullshit. When you think about that, when you have that, I'm like, I'm new here, but I would never <laughs> say, yeah, I would never say something like that. Right, right. And and that's and I'm getting paid to be on these meetings that are optional. Like, click, click. I'm on the meeting. Are we cool? Are you okay? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just be like, are you okay? And then sometimes yeah. if I care about that person enough and it's not normal behavior for them, I'll be like, what's going on with you? Is everything all right at home? Okay. You know, I start to ask stuff like that because. The the COVID, COVID, COVID did. Right. And life be life in. And so I just be trying to see what's going on with people because they're not okay. We're not okay. See, and I see that with your conversations, just your interactions that I that I watch from afar. And that's why I and I love that. And I and I I I am so envious of that ability to navigate that strength part. Like just not letting, I mean, I guess the best way I could put it is just don't let people bully you. And I feel my my training, my background is if you're bullying me, I can physically step up and say, you know, listen, <laughs> mm. I don't, I that's not what I need. I'm not in that space now. I need to be able to practically navigate and articulate that conversation that I'm also able to make them accountable, that I want people to know that I know what they just did. Mm-hmm. And here you do that without being, for lack of a better word, like, asshole-ish you know what I mean it just it's an intelligent conversation and I want and I and and I envy that ability to do that and I want to learn <laughs> that's only because I'm autistic and I can mask and I can like uh <laughs> I've been duped so many times that well, like I'm like oh I know what that behavior is I'm not gonna let that and I'm not gonna let you take me out of my character or take yeah. me out of my nervous system regulation to go that, there with you that is hard Karen that is hard it's so hard to not let people pull you out the character. I think I've gotten better since I've gotten older. Because I don't have the energy because I, I can I can be a hothead at times, but mm-hmm. um, I, I want to be able to do it like that. And I and oh, I'm a triple fire sign. Erin gets it. Like she hears it. Okay. The first, I know you have your wife, but like at least have that person that you can have the first reaction with because you need to okay. get it out. Okay. You need to get it out. This motherfucker You need to be yeah. able to get that out because that's I'm yeah. a triple fire sign. It's coming out, and <laughs> then I can compartmentalize and okay. put it into perspective and play the long game. You know, Got I love that you 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 both play the long game very well. I've seen mm. I've seen that, and I and I and I do. I envy that. I wish more folks would recognize. I guess. For the the lack of a better word, you know, we talked about that team effort. I think we all need to recognize what strengths and weaknesses are and 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 elevate those 
and be able to, you know, navigate those. And um, I think I see some of it happening. I see little bits of it happening. I see, I see that happening with elevating you too and, and what you, what you're really good at. And, uh, and, and I'm happy to see that, but I think applying that learning from what you do is something that I want to be able to mimic and many, and, and, and make it work um, how it works for Tyson, but being able to watch your lead in that. And that is, I want to compliment you both on um, the ability to stand strong on, on what you're saying and what you believe and, and when you feel wronged and when you feel right. I mean, you know, you do both sides. If somebody does something good, you say that was good. Mm-hmm. Let's, it, you know, so it's, and I think people don't always acknowledge that. Um, and I'm and, calling and, you in too, like, but I'm calling you in on your phone. I'm calling you in on a message. I ain't putting you on blast. Right. Right. It, it's just, I don't know. It's just so frustrating to see yeah. such, such the qualities that we need to be just grabbing in folks and saying, okay, this is the A team. Let's do A, B, and C. And we got this shit. You know how to do this. You can pull a crowd. You can do, you can do the logistics, put this mm-hmm. up there. This person has, you mm-hmm. know, this part and you can say this part. Because I mean, it just, it's white people do it all the time. They be like putting their cousins and everybody's in, in this spot, and then all of a sudden they got 10,000 people at a Trump rally. You know what I'm saying? Like, they put it together. It's not a lot, technically. Exactly. It's a, it's a lot of people to get together for something like that. If they can get together people for that, we should be able to get together people for, like, you know, human rights and, like, love. Yeah, yeah, because it's about to get bad. I know. I don't know if they, you know, if everybody's prepared for it, but it's about to, and it always gets worse before it gets better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just... I'm going to continue to elevate the strengths um, where I see the strengths and 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 try to be supportive and um, be the person I need to be. But I, I appreciate what you do. I appreciate things like this. This is grows. I'm going to look at this 10 years from now oh. when you're when you got, you know, the, the K network. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I was just talking to my friend about that. I was just talking to Camille about that. Because um, she does a lot for the culture, too. And we were just talking about having like a Columbus centered uh, Roland Martin network and how we need that. I need certain yeah. resources for that. I'm not paying for that. I pay for a lot. I pay for my books to be published. I pay when, for this. You know what I'm saying? I'm not paying for that just yet. No, there's enough. <laughs> there's enough of us. We need that. We can we can support that. White people. I know. Do. Right. They do. It they should really do. It's something we just have that conversation about. You should be going, listen, such and such reach out to me. They got these funds and we're going to do A, B, and C because they seen this, this, and this. And it's just quit stepping on people to get to the top instead of reaching back and pulling people up. I got this new cushy Fortune 500 corporate gig though. So I'm going to enjoy that for a minute. Do it, do it. It's delightful. And they there are about what they say they're about, but I, I got some plans to do, obviously with that money and the things that I'm I'm doing, but gotta get it's in, in the works. It's in the works. Yeah. And but I work in, you know, social in, corporate social responsibility. So, I mean, I'm in the right field. I don't think I could work in corporate if I wasn't in, you know, philanthropy, right. DEI, in that, in that arm. But I've, I have some plans. I think some things are in motion, you know. I, oh, yeah. I see them growing. I, we, I've, seen, I've seen this growth. Indeed. Y'all are moving. And I love you for it. 
Uh, well, I love you in return. You are a phenomenal asset to this community. You're a great human being. And I'm so glad that you're carrying on your legacy and for sharing all of your legacy and history up to now. Um, I hope and long for more conversations like this in the community and anywhere I can plug you in or anywhere somebody's asking about it, you know I'm going to. Um, but thank you so much for this conversation. I hope it's the beginning of many between us too, as well as within the community. And um, thank you yeah. for your time and your vulnerability. I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you. And, and keep doing what you're doing. I got you. <laughs>